the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy meets with the president to discuss our nation's spending problem. The current path we're on, we cannot sustain. We've got to change the directory to put ourselves on a path to balance. You're feeling it. Government waste, high interest rates, inflation. Florida Senator Rick Scott. All caused by government spending right. more than it takes in. Virginia's Attorney General looks into the merit award scandal in Fairfax County. To achieve these equal outcomes without exceptions, you have to be willing to treat some students unequally. Plus, we'll hear from the pro-life activists brought up on federal charges. The verdict? Not guilty. You know, when you, you take on evil Chris, you know the other side isn't happy. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at hughhewitt.com. And follow me on Twitter. And follow this program as well, at Town Hall Review. We'll start in Washington with a look at the recurring debt limit crisis. Our nation has once again maxed out our credit card. We've reached our debt limit and need Congress and the president to agree in order to continue funding the government. Get a new card. Kevin McCarthy, now Speaker McCarthy, is working to use his narrow majority to make progress towards more responsible government spending. He talked to the press after meeting with the president on Wednesday. What we talked about today was about moving forward and how we move through on a debt ceiling and how we get an agreement. I believe if we're able to get to an agreement, we could have a funding agreement for the next two years. Our nation's spending is what is motivating Florida Senator Rick Scott and his 12-point plan. Scott was a guest of Deborah Flora on 710 AM KNUS in Denver. We got a problem, right? Yes. So how do you solve the problem? The first thing you've got to say to yourself is, what can I do to actually grow the economy that will get us more revenues? Mm -hmm. right? I mean, first off, reduce taxes, reduce the regulatory environment, streamline the permitting environment. And we've got, I've got bills for all those things, right? Great. We, we, that, number one, that will grow, grow our revenues without raising taxes. We mm -hmm. can even cut taxes. Number two is you start saying, I'm going to go through and look at all the money and look at all the waste. Just, just the omnibus bill that just passed, right? Oh, yes. 7,500 earmarks. But here's what people forget about. In, in, 19, in 2019, our total spending was $4.4 trillion. $4.4 trillion. Coach, do you realize we re we collected last year $4.9 trillion? So if all we did was stop spending more money, we'd right. balance our budget. Right. Absolutely. Go back to 2019. That's, and, and, That's all you have to do. Yeah, and that was pre-pandemic pre spending. Exactly. Exactly. There's no excuse not to do that. Um, I do right. think the waste is something that drives people crazy, this omnibus spending oh. bill. So we'd cut the, cut the fat, look at some of these earmarks. So that would be state, step three. What would be after that? Well, which we, need to have, we need to have a requirement to have a balanced budget. Yes. And we need to actually pass budgets every year. Mm -hmm. And we need to look at every program and say, 
how do we get the how do we get the most out of it? Like mm-hmm. when you're in business, right? You don't say I'm just going to do everything the exact same way I did before. Right. Right. So so take every program. Say how do I make sure that for the things that my taxpayers want, how do I get it at a lower cost all the time? You do it in business all the time. You do it with your own money all the mm-hmm. time. We, 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 we say, well, if I can buy that cheaper someplace else and get the same product or get the same service, I'm doing it. Yeah. The government well, can do that. We just don't do it. So like right now, I've got a bill. It's called the Full Faith and Credit. It's real simple. It says that the, that the executive branch can prioritize payments. Mm-hmm. That way we can never default. The first thing you do, you pay the interest. You pay Medicare. You pay Social Security. You pay our military. Mm-hmm. So, so this idea that we'll ever go into fault, never, ever, never go into fault. Now, they already have that authority, but they want to, the executive branch has it, but they want to act like they don't. Right. right? So, but we'll say, good, well, quad, you know, we'll codify it. So you guys can do it. So you know, what they, you know what they said today? Well, our systems wouldn't do that right. <laughs> You can't make this stuff up. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, if you really are that inept, then that is why you do not need to handle so much of our lives and our budget, which they're not. As you said, they're they're right. using this. Oh, it's it's kind of the uh, the Pelosi line. You know, you have to pass it to know what's in it. No, you have to go ahead and raise the debt limit before we'll do anything about not continuing to raise it. It's it's pretty pretty silly. So the full faith and credit act. First, you would prioritize spending, which makes sense. Pay the right. interest so we don't default. Right. There's, we have a bill called the Let's Get to Work bill. It mm-hmm. says that if you're able-bodied, you will not be on a government program unless you have young kids you know, or elderly parents you're responsible mm-hmm. for. Everybody else, get a job. Right. Or you're not going to be on Medicaid. You're not going to be on food stamps. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be using public housing. Because if, if you have a job and you don't make enough money, I get it. Right. But if you just want to sit on your butt and not work – Right. I said, well, I'm, I'm above that type of job. Mm-hmm. That's not fair. That's unfair to everybody else. But he, by the way, did you do you realize that there's only one hundred and thirty two million full time workers paying for all these programs? Wow. No, I did not. One hundred thirty two million. Know, did you, yeah. Did you know seven million people are getting Obama phones a year? <laughs> Now we need to then move and address what is driving up inflation because some people, even full-time working, cannot make you know the right. ends meet and pay for their bills. So there's look at a double. Rates. Yeah, exactly. Look at, look at mortgage rates. Look at look at uh, credit card rates. Mm-hmm. It's got. I mean, look at all this. This is all caused by government spending right. more than it takes in. And, yeah. and we're not going to get it under control until we do. And the Federal Reserve has been part of this mm-hmm. by buying up all the treasuries. They cause an unbelievable misallocation of capital. I think Jay Powell's done a horrible job mm-hmm. at, the Federal, at the Federal Reserve. You have the Rescue America plan. What led you to put together this Rescue America plan, and what is your hope that comes out of it? So here's what I learned. I'm a kid that grew up in public housing, born to a single mom. Hmm. Right? And she said, if you want to go do something, you've got to go create it yourself. I built businesses all my life. Yes. And in businesses, I had to go borrow a lot of money, find investors. Guess what? I wrote a plan, and I sold them on my ideas. Mm-hmm. I just sell them. I did, the bank didn't say, hey, well, let's just give you some money. Do whatever you want with it. I had to go explain what I was going to do with it, and I had to convince them that I was smart enough to do it, right? And I was right. going to work hard. That's, so I, the first thing you do is I wrote a plan to give us something to start fighting over so we can tell the American public, hey, this is what a Republican stands for. Mm-hmm. Like, our, I think it's the first one. 
who why don't we fight every day to make sure our kids at pledge of allegiance salute our flag and we learned that this is the greatest country ever mm -hmm. right and the parents they choose their own school we should never get asked somebody their skin color on a government form let's stop this racial i mean i mean this is just racial profiling it is. I mean, well, it's, we're it's supposed to be judged racism. by our character. <laughs> yes. yeah, no, it, we should be judged by our character, mm -hmm. not by our, the color of our skin. Right. Well, and I think that's great because the first point you have on your 12 point plan is education. And honestly, it's just yeah. getting back to education, not indoctrination. That's great. And I find interesting. Your second point is colorblind equality. And I love it's right. equality, not equity. We know equity is not the same as equality or what, uh, you know, our country was founded on. How would you define that in your 12 points? Colorblind equality. I grew up in a country and I want a country that everybody's got a shot. Right. But guess what? Study. Work hard. Mm -hmm. right? Get your butt up every day when things don't go well and say, you know, I tried that. That didn't work. I'll try something else. Don't say, man, will government have a program for this? Get your butt in gear and go work. Well, right? I, I, yeah. And, but now, so I, I just think government is doing this by saying, well, we're going to treat you differently uh, because you have a different skin color. And by the way, you're an oppressor. You're mm -hmm. the oppressed, so you really don't have a shot here. We're sorry, but you're not going to be able to. No, every kid's got a shot at the dream in this country. I agree with Senator Scott there. Every kid's got a shot at the dream in this country. At least that's how it ought to be. Opportunity. It's always been my belief that every kid in the country has a shot at it. In my home state of Virginia, I've been tracking very closely the scandal of the non-disclosure of National Merit Award recipients. That is, high schoolers who received the coveted National Merit Award scholarship commendation or semifinalist status were not notified by their schools that they had won the awards. Jason Miares, the Attorney General for Virginia, has started a formal investigation of the matter. The Attorney General of Virginia was a guest on my program. Now, I live in Northern Virginia, I am a Virginian, and I have followed the Fairfax County meltdown on the PSAT scores and now the AP scores. You launched an investigation, what have you discovered thus far? Well, this is what we know. We know that the Michelle Reed, the, the uh, superintendent of Fairfax Schools, hired an equity consultant, paid this individual $455,000 for about nine months worth of work. We know one of the uh, uh, directives from this equity consultant was for uh, to achieve equal outcomes for every student without exception. Those were his words, not mine. This equity consultant also said that to achieve these equal outcomes without exceptions, you had to be willing to treat some students unequally. And what we actually, our investigation actually started into Thomas Jefferson High School. As you know, it's a well-known magnet school. It's a public school. We saw that they went to a, quote, equity-based admissions policy instead of a merit-based admissions policy that led to a 20-point decrease of Asian-American enrollment in just one year. And so I started hearing to you from parents, uh, from moms and dads, saying, my child's being discriminated against. My child has worked so hard, got straight A's since the first grade, and, and we're realizing they, not, they may not be able to achieve their dream to go to TJ High School simply because of who they are, because they're Korean-American or they're Indian-American. Uh, and that's wrong. That goes against everything we should believe as Americans. And so on top of that investigation that we started, then the explosion of the national merit uh, scandal in which we know that over 70 percent of the recipients of this commendation are Asian-American. Listen, at the end of the day, our dream, our aspiration as society is 
we want to judge people by the by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. That's what we want in a pluralistic, multiracial society. The idea that somebody could be denied their dream just because of their their background, when you know that education is the doorway to the American dream, that goes against everything we believe. And that's General, I had a parent call the show after the the initial story broke, who said that the PSAT national merit had changed her son's life because he got a full ride to the University of Florida based on semi-finalist stats. So there's real money involved, real benefits, real costs. And I know of at least one Virginia school that will give you a full free tuition if you're one of these national merit uh, recipients uh, get one of these commendations. Uh, by our calculation, it was worth over $90,000 uh, by not notifying these students. So you're absolutely right. I believe in a colorblind society and equal protection of the law means exactly that. Everybody should be treated equally under the law. Can we go back and close on that original study? They were brought in to use race in the administration of a public high school district. That is verboten. It is just like the, the cardinal sin of American history. Uh, I don't see how on its face, when it says equal outcomes for every student without exceptions, even if it means you have to treat some students purposefully unequally, which was his exact words. It's almost like something out of Animal Farm where you're, they're using words to twist that actually do reverse discrimination uh, to try to force equal outcomes. There's more on my conversation with A.G. Miares. Go to townhall.com. Coming up. You have to be very careful about leaks coming from closed door hearings. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Speaker McCarthy and his committee heads are now busy trying to fill the requisite seats so they can make some progress in this 118th Congress. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is chairing a committee we will be watching, the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. I recently read the devastating report on the media's coverage of Trump in the Columbia Journalism Review. I'm thinking the committee is going to focus first on Russia, Russia, Russia. I turn to Olivia Beavers of Politico. I've had some sources say they think that the first hearing that they might want to do goes into, you know, some of the broader things that the Republicans and have discovered about intelligence that has raised concerns for them, like FISA abuse. Um, I once said CIA um, corruption. What, so I, think what I have heard, Olivia, is that the yeah. Mueller special counsel is going to be on the hot topic. And especially if you read the Columbia Journalism Review story on Russia, 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 and how it has embarrassed mm-hmm. the New York Times and much of mainstream media, I would not be surprised. And given that one of the members of the new subcommittee was one of the Mueller prosecutors, I would not be surprised to see that as, as focus number one. Have you heard that? I've heard that floating around. I didn't know that that would be first, but that would be a really interesting sort of approach for them to take because that has been a powerful talking point. I was actually one of those reporters who my first beat was covering the Russia investigation. Um, <laughs> your face. Well, well, but, did you read um, the Columbia Journalism Review thing? 
I have not. But oh my god! I, 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 I was... learned so many. I learned so many lessons from that being the first thing I cover as a young green reporter. Um, one of them is that you have to be very careful about leaks coming from closed door hearings because people spin things in such an incredible way. And so I've I've now sort of taken a much more of a, a critical look when things are very closed door. There's Olivia, write this down. There. You can do the screenplay for an HBO series on Russia, Russia, Russia. <laughs> I really do. I, I think it's the Chernobyl of modern journalism. And when the Columbia Journalism Review, you're not a, a Columbia Journalism graduate, are you? No, I'm not. Okay, so, so neither of us have a vested interest. It is a legitimately <laughs> esteemed organization and it has just torn the Russia reporting to pieces in a five-part series that I stayed up late last night reading, and I thought to myself, no one would believe this. Media failed comprehensively. So what do you take away from that blast crater that is Russia, Russia, Russia? No, I think that um, it's maybe some of the product is that the press moves really quickly these days, and when you're hearing from someone on the record, you start running it and taking taking too much um putting too much clout in it. Um, we were pushed with the narrative that there was evidence of collusion between Russia and Trump campaign, and then Mueller didn't find any evidence of that. But I think that there was so much press coverage of it that that really built the narrative that there was. And so it's, you know, I always say it's fair to criticize the press. There's some times where I think the press is really unfairly blamed. But in different cases, you know, we, we deserve... I've said forever, the press is not the enemy of the people. And I've I've challenged former President Trump on that. But they can be very wrong. There are a host of examples that Jordan and company can look into that fit pretty well into this weaponization of government category. Our next guest, no doubt, is wondering how he ended up being treated the way he was at the hands of the FBI. Matt Hawk is a pro-life activist who's been facing federal charges for an altercation that occurred in front of an abortion clinic in October of 2021. This week, the jury returned a verdict, not guilty. Hawk was a guest of Chris DeGaulle on AM 990, The Answer, in Philadelphia. I, I, can't, I can't imagine. I have so many questions, so let's start at the beginning. Um, sure. When we got to know you and hear about your story, we were told that this was based on an altercation between some crackpot, my word, not yours, 73 years old, getting in your son's face, you and your son peacefully... Uh, offering some sidewalk ministry out in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic. This guy clearly trying to agitate and taunt you by getting in your son's face, screaming profanity. You naturally, as any father would, shove him out of the way. He does this, you know, I liken it to people jumping out of a car after they've been tapped at an intersection. My neck, my neck, you know, screaming that he's been grievously injured or something. Uh, you did what any dad would do. But anyway, this was brought up in court. He files, char- he presses charges. He never shows up in court. This is tossed, dismissed, and you think the story's gone away. Have I got that summary about right? Yeah, I, I would say that's accurate. In April uh, 22nd, I believe, of 2022, it was dismissed at, at the, in the Philadelphia court system. And then uh, about five days later, I received a target letter from the DOJ saying, um, assisting U.S. attorney in Philadelphia, that I was a target of a grand jury investigation. And the grand jury investigation, you said, okay, wh- as I understand it from your attorneys, what what do you need? Give me the date. I'll show up. I'll be wherever you need me to be. Um, and I don't know how long this went on. I understood that from the initial charges being dropped and this being thrown out of court, 
was this like almost a calendar year before the FBI comes knocking on your door? Yeah, it was about it was about uh, six months, uh, and, and in fact, it okay. wasn't even uh, it didn't even play out the way you just described. Actually, the attorneys reached out. Uh, Thomas More Society, Matt Heffron reached out. He's a former federal prosecutor. Reached out to the assistant U.S. attorney in Philadelphia and um, just said, "You have no case. Um, you know, my client's innocent, and here's case law against it." At the same time, if you if you want him, uh, no need to bring any agents out to the house. Uh, this is in early, at the end of April, beginning of May. Uh, you know, no need to do that. He's a peaceful man. He'll come down. We didn't hear from the AUSA. Uh, they spoke initially, my attorney, and uh, we didn't hear from them at all for the next five months. In fact, uh, the attorney called me in August of 2022 and said, uh, have you heard from the assistant U.S. attorney? I said, I have not. And he said, I haven't either. And he, she won't return my calls. So uh, next thing I know, uh, banging on my door at 645 in the morning, September 23rd, was the next time I heard from anyone from the Department of Justice. I'll start by asking you, when you do this sidewalk ministry, do you ever think to yourself the day would come that your government, government agents, goons would come pounding on your door and pull you out of bed and arrest you? I mean, does that ever occur to you or, or you ever was that in the back of your mind at any point? You know, when you, you take on evil Chris, uh, like, like we do with abortion, fighting pornography, uh, defending traditional marriage, you, you know, the other side isn't happy. Uh, but the way you just described and the way it happened was, was not really what, how I imagined it, uh, possibly. Uh, it's not the first time I had you know, any, any interactions with law enforcement. So uh, I'm familiar with the process. This process was completely beyond anything I could imagine. So you always knew there was a resistance to what you had to say, but I don't know that you ever imagined you'd be viewed or labeled as an enemy of your government. I mean, that's the next level. I mean, having a street altercation with a lunatic guy who presses charges against you is one thing. That's a civil matter. But when you're talking about the FBI at your door at 645 in the morning, that's next level stuff. That's that's scary, Mark, to me. How about you? Yeah, it was it was an act of pure terror. I mean, it, basically, that, that's what it was. I mean, when you talk about 15 unmarked and marked units on your property at that at dark o'clock in the morning, uh, you're just getting up, just trying to prepare your family for their day. Uh, and, and next thing you know, there's, there's heavy banging on the door. Uh, the guns, the amount of guns that were pointed at me, the long guns, the, the heavy armored vest, the ballistic shields, the ballistic helmets, battering ram, people at the back of my, my house, on the side of my house. It, 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 it seemed it was a hostage crisis, the way it was, it was going down. So, yes, I mean, it was, it was scary. It was, I, am, I am surprised that one of my children didn't get shot. Or, or I didn't get shot. That's how reckless it was. Coming up. I'm not sorry it happened. I'm grateful. It's been a blessing. It's been a gift. More with Mark Hawk when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 
Mark Hawk is a Catholic pro-life activist who's not terribly different from many activists I've met and interviewed over the last few decades. Many of the people have attended pro-life center fundraisers that I've spoken at. Mark's a husband, a father, a homeschool dad. His brand of activism may be different from many who share his conviction, but he's not someone you'd expect to be brought up on charges that could result in 11 years in prison. Let's pick up on more of Mark Hawk talking with Chris DeGaulle. What is the, for you, is that just an excruciatingly painful long process? Does it happen fast? Um, I, I think you were bailed out relatively quickly, right? Was it that same day? How does that unfold? Yeah, sure. So that's a great question. And, uh, and this is really where it gets kind of painful, um, both physically, emotionally, and, and spiritually for all of us. Uh, I was released on bond that day. The bond was, uh, you know, forgiven as provided I, I met with all the requests of, of, of Rainman and showing up and so forth. But on the way down, um, you know, I was, I was cuffed, of course. When I got to the federal building, they, they shackled my, my feet and they shackled my waist. And then I was cuffed to a table for six hours in a, like a really small room with nothing but a table. And that was uh, that was a very uh, spiritual, uh, uplifting moment for me. I, I was I never felt closer to my Lord than, than I did then. However, it was, you know, a, a really strange situation, too, to have that experience and to be in the custody of the FBI and to be treated this way. And you're in shorts uh, and flip flops, to be clear. I mean, you, you, you've been in bed. Yes. Yes, correct. I, I, the, the cuffs were on my ankles, tightly on my ankles, and uh, yeah, I, I had no socks. So it was it was a bit uncomfortable, but it wasn't that uncomfortable that I didn't have the ability to you know to pray and offer it all up for those that need it, especially my wife and children. Um, so I, 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 that's all I could do. About six hours go by. Uh, there's a, a preliminary hearing, and then they had every intention to release me, which again they didn't need to humiliate me and and put me through all that. Uh, if that was their intention, they had every intention to release me on my own recognizance. And about three o'clock later that afternoon, now I had to be put brought down to U.S. Marshals from the federal building, which is in the same building. And I'm literally still in shackles with my waist and ankles. And I say to the agent, is this really necessary? Like I could barely move my feet. I'm shuffling my feet. Uh, and, and they didn't really, he didn't really resp- respond to me. Uh, but anyhow, I had to go to U.S. Marshals and, and they, I don't know if you've ever dealt with the U.S. Marshals, that they're not the nicest people. Um, they, they treat you like you're a criminal, and, and I felt like that. And then uh, finally I was released, and then I was reunited with my family about 4 o'clock later that, that afternoon. You don't sound remotely angry. I mean, you're being treated like an animal. Uh, your family's been terribly upset. This is demoralizing, and yet you said you were closer to God than ever before. Talk to me about what that means. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a mysterious thing, isn't it? Um, well, I mean, when you're in that situation, you know, and you think about, you know, the, the Christ and his journey, and you think of the, the life of, of many in the last 2,000 years since his birth on earth, you know, you, you think of those that were persecuted and those that suffered, and, and they, they did it in his name, uh, Jesus Christ's name. So, so you know, those are that's a great way to enter in. It, it, or you can do that or you can do something else, right? You can totally despair, and you can totally, you know, reject God and say, how could you? Or you can say, why not me? You know, take up my cross and, and follow him, right? So, so I had to enter into that, and I, I felt like I was at the foot of the cross at Calvary, and I just felt completely united, never before in my life, in such a way. Most powerful prayer experience of my life. I prayed the whole six hours, didn't stop, and, uh, and just offered it all up, you know, for my wife and children. I couldn't do anything else but that. It's the only way I could offer something and provide for them when, when I was taken from them. And not knowing when I would return to them. 
So that's just the only way I could cope. And it gave me great, I have to say, Chris, it gave me great peace and joy. What's scarier, being detained at your home um, in the early morning hours or facing 11 years in federal prison on trial before you're a jury of your peers? What's a, what's a more frightening moment? They both seem terrifying to me, I'll be honest. Yeah, I, you know, it, it is terrifying. And But at the same time, like I said, uh, you know, when we're doing, you're doing the work of the Lord and, and you're, you're in his will, Chris, you can accept those things. And, and you, if you know that it's, it's, it's come upon you because of that, there's a great ability to accept all that and move forward with confidence and peace. And if it wasn't, if I was living for myself or I was living for my own agenda or, or trying to make money or whatever, you know, like yes. not that there's anything wrong with making money, but if I was just serving my own self, then I could, I could see your point. But in this instance, it was an invitation. I've always said people keep coming up to me, and I'm so sorry this happened to you. I said, don't be sorry. I'm not sorry it happened. I'm grateful. It's been a blessing. It's been a gift. And so in so many ways it has. Yes, it's not been without its hardship. It's definitely been anxious moments at times. But in the end, I, it's, it's been a true blessing upon me and my family. And so, you know, we're just trying to proclaim that now and let people see that in the midst of the storm, there is, there is great peace and there is great um, hope in all of it. You can now catch Chris Gall at the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up, a former FBI agent looks at today's bureau. They have to restore the respect and the primacy of the Constitution. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. The FBI was, of course, the federal law enforcement agency at the center of Mark Hawk's story that we just looked at. The FBI was also at the center of the unprecedented raid on former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. And the FBI, I'm sure, will come under the scrutiny of Jim Jordan's subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. Thomas Baker is a 33-year veteran of the Bureau. He's concerned about what he sees. He's the author of The Fall of the FBI, how a once great agency became a threat to democracy. He was a guest of Julie Hartman on her new Timeless with Julie Hartman podcast. It's been commonly said that the FBI is so corrupt that you would have to abolish it and start a new organization. Do you agree with that statement or do you think that it is salvageable? I, I pray and hope that it's salvageable. What my book calls for is, is the reform of the culture. And culture can be changed. And, and there's textbooks written about how they change culture in corporate life. But to, to change culture, you have to first recognize the problem and, and want to do it. And several FBI leaders recently, including Director Ray, they don't seem to recognize a problem. Every time something bad happens, and we can go back through this fellow who was arrested two days ago and go back all the way to, to Comey, McCabe, and Strzok, who were all fired, the two agents who were fired who – uh, involved in the gymnast case, uh, two agents who were fired who were involved in the, the fiasco of the Governor Whitmer kidnapping plot. Every time one of these things happens, 
the director says, well, the bad apples are gone. The miscredents have been dismissed. They're no longer with us. And what they have to do is stop saying that and look at the underlying cause, that there's a culture, a problem underneath it that has to be reformed, that has to be changed. Again, I know that you, you point to Robert Mueller as the progenitor of some of these changes. But when do you think the, the FBI really became the politicized force that it is today? Roughly what year or under which director would you associate well, it with started, that? It started with the cultural change that Mueller enforced. And Mueller was there for 12 years. And then it was exacerbated by the poor leadership of Comey who floated above it all, and all these people who rose up in the Mueller, Mueller really ran the, the ship. The other thing that's missing now is, and I think as part of changing the culture, they have to restore the, the respect and the primacy of the Constitution in training and in retraining and in daily activities of the FBI. Can you be more specific about how they would do that? Because, you know, obviously the Constitution... Um doesn't call for the existence of an FBI, though I, I can gather that you're talking about our principles and, and the Bill of Rights being being applied to the exactly. to the agent's conduct. Exactly, the Bill of Rights. And in, in an earlier question, you asked me about training. And back in those days, the training outside the classroom was, as I said, firearms training and things like that. But in that classroom, most of the training was devoted to the Constitution for three months. Wow. We had agent instructors who were attorneys, and most of my classmates were recent law school graduates. But we taught about the Constitution, specifically the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments. And I remember, and I've told this story to people who are defense attorneys, they can't believe this, but there was such a reverence for the Constitution. Our instructors told us that we should not see the Bill of Rights, particularly the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments, as obstacles to getting our job done. We should embrace, embrace it, and that we were there, part of our role was to protect the Bill of Rights. And one instructor even gave us, when we finished, a pocket copy of the Constitution, and he told us to always keep it with us in our breast pocket. And he said, when you're at an interview of a citizen— when you're searching someone's home, if you you'll remember you have that constitution in your pocket and it's very unlikely that you'll ever do wrong or go off the track. That's the reverence we had for the constitution and that's what needs to be restored. And and, and this Twitter thing is an example of that. How they could in anyone step back and look at the situation where you have the FBI who as part of the federal government is forbidden by the constitution from curtailing free speech. That's the First Amendment. But yet they have a commercial entity, Twitter, censoring the speech of American citizens. It's so clear a violation of the spirit of the Constitution, but a lot of them can't see it today. And that's why we got to return to retraining on the Constitution and reemphasizing the constitutional guidelines. That takes primacy. And and one of the arguments I've gotten pushed back on from some people in today's FBI, well, it'll make our job harder, you know, if we if we don't censor this speech. Well, the whole Bill of Rights makes the job of government harder. It's something we just have to live with. Right. That's really amazing that they gave you that pocketbook copy of the Constitution. I can imagine that they do not do that today in the FBI. I I want to ask you about 
your opinion of J. Edgar Hoover. He was the FBI director, for those who don't know, for 48 years from 1924 to uh, 1972. So you overlapped with him um, in his last five years during that tenure. And he was known, again, for people who may not be aware, for professionalizing the FBI. But he was also widely criticized for spying on Martin Luther King Jr. and also not going hard enough against the mafia as people would have liked. So the day after Mr. Hoover died in 1972, his nemesis in the American press, Jack Anderson, released this statement. And it's pretty amazing, again, given that they were pretty much adversaries. Mr. Anderson wrote, when he, that is Hoover, took over the FBI 48 years ago, it was loaded with hacks, misfits, drunks, and courthouse hangers-on. In a remarkably brief time, Hoover transformed it into a close-knit, effective organization with an esprit de corps exceeding that of the Marines. So, Mr. Baker, how does that statement hold up 50 years later, knowing what we know now about Mr. Hoover and the FBI? Well, the statement is accurate within the framework of the time, and he, he did, Hoover, uh, professionalized law enforcement in America in general. He created the National Academy and, and helped to raise police standards everywhere, not just in the FBI. But he did engage, it's widely documented, with abuses. Now, some of the abuses happened because they didn't have the correct guidelines. And some of them were in this intelligence, domestic intelligence and, and international intelligence realm. So you had the national leadership always, whether it was President FDR, President Truman, President Eisenhower, LBJ, they'd be turning to the FBI, they'd be looking for intelligence, and the FBI really didn't have the guidelines to, to do things. Coming up. Anybody looking at this, they can't just keep saying, well, it's a few bad apples, a few bad apples. They have to look at what fundamental changes need to be made. A few more minutes with Thomas Baker in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Don Crow. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, we'll look at the costly price of Christian faith as Open Doors releases their World Watch List 2023. There were 40 countries when we first began the list that were experiencing very high or extreme persecution, and today there are 76 countries. We'll hear about Wycliffe's efforts to provide Bible translation and practical help to war-torn Ukraine. Our humanitarian aid has opened many people's hearts to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many have come to know him simply because we provided a package of food. And Johnny Erickson Tata on the Christian's great hope, heaven. To long for heaven is to long for Jesus. We have all this and more. Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. J. Edgar Hoover was still serving as director of the FBI when he died in his sleep on May 2nd, 1972. He had led the Bureau for 48 years. Hoover created the modern FBI. It was called the Bureau of Investigation when Hoover took the helm in 1924. Let's pick up with Julie Hartman's conversation with Thomas Baker, author of The Fall of the FBI. What happened after Hoover's death there was a, a lot of this was exposed, which you alluded to. And then we had in Congress the Pike Committee and the Church Committee, and they did a lot of research. 
out of that came, came a lot of good and a lot of reform. One thing was inter- um, the Congress passed the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which actually helped and protected the FBI agents. A lot of people don't even realize that because they were doing the surveillance on the foreign agents here in this country without any real guidelines. Mm-hmm. So the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, we hear a lot about now, that set up the, a court, the FISA court, which allowed this legal monitoring of foreign agents in this country for intelligence purposes. Other reforms that came out of that period after the Church and Pike Committee were the Department of Justice and the FBI itself set up a whole series of guidelines, the Attorney General guidelines, as to how these investigations were to be conducted. Now, that all went into effect, the FISA Act, in 1978. So for almost 20 years, certainly for 40 years, all the all the abuses of or people would uh, point to abuses of the Hoover time was behind us. We had the Pfizer Act. We acted within certain frameworks. I think what we need today now is another, and maybe we'll get it, another church committee or something similar to look at how things have gone off, off the track and correct them. Do you trust the officials in charge right now to lead such a committee responsibly? I, I think we have to get the message through to them. Uh, Congress is one tool to, to get it through to them, but it, it has to be done. I mean, anybody looking at this, they can't just keep saying, well, it's a few bad apples, a few bad apples. They have to look at what fundamental changes need to be made. How do you think Mr. Hoover matches up with the most recent FBI directors, Christopher Ray, James Comey and Robert Mueller? Well, it's two different worlds. It's two different eras. I, I can't imagine, uh, nor can anybody else, that any one person would be the director for nearly 50 years. Uh, that that created a problem in, into itself. I think everybody would acknowledge that. There were completely different personalities. Um, Hoover was totally devoted to the FBI. That was his life. Uh, I think any of these other men, they had achieved earlier in their career some degree of prominence in the legal fields. And uh, in the case of uh, Mueller and uh, Comey, have gone on to do other things afterwards, and Ray will too. Thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Catch Julie's podcast, the Hugh Hewitt Show podcast, the Town Hall Review podcast, all of them at the Salem Podcast Network. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubert, producers David Bouchon, Michael Cook, Jacob Ordunia, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt, and thank you for joining us for the Town Hall Review. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.